Hello, everyone, and welcome to Myth in the Mojave, a weekly half hour of storytelling and conversation about mythology and why it's important to our lives today. I'm your local mythologist, Catherine Savela. I live in Joshua Tree, and I'm very pleased to bring this program to the high desert and beyond here on Radio Free Joshua Tree. And I'm really glad to be back with you guys this week. There have been some exciting happenings here in the high desert, which Radio Free Joshua Tree has been a part of. The streaming of the Graham Fest on Saturday, October 5th, and the live streaming of the Joshua Tree Music Festival on October 12th. Both great events, and I hope that you tuned in and caught some of the wonderful music that was happening on those two weekends. But it has meant that we haven't met now for several weeks. So what we're going to do today is go back to Hans Christian Andersen. I've told two stories from Andersen. Uh, First, I told The Emperor's New Clothes, and then I told The Steadfast Tin Soldier. And now today, I want to round out the Andersen Trilogy by telling a tale that it's fairy tale-like, maybe technically not really a fairy tale, but it's one that Anderson wrote for adults called The Shadow. This is a little bit longer story, so I'm going to tell the first big chunk of it this week, and then we will finish the story next week. So you'll have to tune in again next week or catch this program and the archives uh, to hear the conclusion of it. Now, before I do go any further, I want to remind you that Anderson intended for his stories to be read. And so I am going to read this story. And one of the things that I've discovered in the weeks since we've last communicated is just how badly Anderson has been treated by many of his translators. As it turns out, a lot of the most popular versions that we have of his tales are terrible mutilations of what Anderson actually wrote. The translation that I'm using, which is quite good, is by Julie Allen and Maria Tatar. And Tatar then is also the editor and annotator of this collection. She's a very well-known scholar of fairy tales and is the Dean of Humanities at Harvard University. And they were very careful to go back to the original Danish in creating their translation. The book is simply called The Annotated Hans Christian Andersen. So you would want to look for the one associated with Maria Tatar. That's T-A-T-A-R. The translation that you read of these book of these stories makes a huge, huge difference. So The Shadow is a story that Anderson wrote for adults. He wrote it in 1846, and it reflects a fascination at the time with the notion of doubles and shadows, which could be in the form of statues or paintings, and were metaphors for the idea of the divided self a self that has lighter or darker aspects, secret aspects, uh, and the potential for conflict there. If you think about the portrait of Dorian Gray, Jekyll and Hyde, Conrad's story about the secret sharer, 
and the doppelganger idea, then you're in the right universe. And of course, this idea that there is a shadow is a very important concept in depth psychology, and in particular Jungian psychology, where the shadow is the metaphor used to refer to the unconsciously repressed aspect of the self. Now, what is this metaphorical shadow in Anderson's story? You'll have to speculate about that yourself as you listen to it. But one possibility is that it's connected to soul, to the idea of a personal soul. Uh, It could also be connected to the darker desires of the self. And it's interesting that the Danish word for shadow means both shadow, like your shadow that's reflected on the ground when you stand in the light, and also means shade, as in ghost or spirit. Stories about the shadow take us into the very fascinating and important debates about human nature, about the development of a moral core, the proper goals of life. I want you to note as you're listening that the protagonist in this story is a learned man, quote unquote, concerned with truth and beauty, and that poetry herself as a principle is a character in this story. So without further ado, let's turn to Anderson and the shadow. I invite you to sit back and relax if you can and enjoy the story. In the hot countries, the sun can really scorch you. People can turn as brown as mahogany, and in the hottest countries, they can be baked black. One day, a learned man traveled from the cold countries to one of the moderately hot countries. He was sure that he would be able to go about his business just as he had back home, but he soon discovered otherwise. Along with all the other sensible souls, he had to stay indoors. All day long, the shutters were drawn and the doors were kept closed. It looked just as if everyone was still sleeping or not at home. The narrow street on which the man lived was lined with tall buildings and was laid out so that it was flooded with sunshine from morning until evening. It was really unbearable. The learned man from the cold countries, he was a young man, a clever man, felt just as if he was sitting inside a blazing hot oven. It wore him out. He grew quite thin, and even his shadow began to shrink until it was much smaller than it had been at home. The sun took its toll on it as well. Not until the evening, after sundown, did the man and his shadow come back to life. It was a real pleasure to watch that happen. As soon as a candle was brought into the room, the shadow would stretch itself out all the way up the wall and would even reach the ceiling. It made itself so long. It had to stretch out like that to get its strength back. The learned man went out on the balcony to stretch, and as soon as stars appeared in the lovely clear sky, he also seemed to come back to life. People appeared on all the balconies up and down the street, and in the warm countries every window has a balcony, because you have to breathe fresh air, even if you are used to being mahogany-colored. Things grew quite lively, 
upstairs and down. Cobblers and tailors and everyone else moved out into the street. Tables appeared, then chairs, and candles were lit. There were over a thousand candles burning. One person would be talking while another sang. People strolled down the street, carriages drove by, and donkeys trotted along with their bells singing ding-a-ling-ling. Hymns were sung as the dead were buried, urchins set off firecrackers, and church bells were ringing. Oh yes, it was very lively down in the street. Only one house stayed quiet, the one directly across from where the learned man was living. Someone must have been living there because there were flowers growing on the balcony, and these were thriving, even under the hot sun. And how could they, unless there was a person there, to water them? Someone had to be watering them, and so there must be people living in the house. As it turns out, the door across the way was left ajar every evening, but it was completely dark inside, at least in the front room. From somewhere farther back in the house, you could hear the sound of music. The learned stranger thought the music was quite fabulous, but it is possible that he was just imagining all of this, for he thought that everything in the warm countries was really marvelous, except for the sun. The stranger's landlord said that he had no idea who was renting the house across the street. No one seemed to be living there, and as for the music... He found it terribly dreary. It sounds as if someone is practicing a piece that is beyond him. Always the exact same piece. I'll get it right one of these days, he probably tells himself, but he just never does, no matter how hard he tries. The stranger woke up once in the middle of the night. He was sleeping right near the open balcony door, and when a breeze lifted the curtain, he thought he saw a strange, shimmering light on his neighbor's balcony. The flowers were glowing like flames in the most beautiful colors. Right in the middle of the flowers stood a slender, enchanting maiden, and she seemed to be glowing too. The brightness hurt his eyes, but that was because he had just woken up and opened them too wide after rousing himself so suddenly. Then he jumped out of bed, and without making a sound, peered through the window. But the maiden had vanished, and so had the light. The flowers were no longer in flames and looked just fine, as they always did. The door was ajar, and from far inside came the sound of music so lovely and soothing that you could lose yourself in sweet thoughts. It was enchanting. But who was living there? Where was the real entrance? The entire ground floor was nothing but shops, and people couldn't constantly be walking through them. One evening, the stranger was sitting out on his balcony. In the room behind him, a candle was burning, and so it was quite natural that his shadow appeared over on the wall across the way. Yes, it appeared right there with the flowers on the balcony. And whenever the stranger moved, the shadow moved too, for that is what shadows do. I think my shadow is the only living thing you can see over there, the learned man thought to himself. Look how much at home it is among the flowers. The door is wide open. 
If only my shadow were clever enough to step inside, have a look around, and come back to tell me what it had seen. Yes, he said, you would be doing me a real service. Joking. Kindly step inside, shadow. Aren't you going in? He nodded to the shadow, and the shadow nodded back at him. Run along now, but don't get lost. The stranger rose, and his shadow on the opposite balcony got up with him. The stranger turned, and his shadow turned as well. If anyone had been paying attention, they would have seen the shadow enter the half-open balcony door in the house across the street at the very instant when the stranger returned to his room, letting the drapes fall closed behind him. The next morning, the learned man went out to drink his coffee and read the newspapers. "'What's this?' he said as he stepped out into the sunlight. "'My shadow is gone. "'So it actually did leave me last night, and it hasn't come back. "'That's really irritating.' What annoyed him most was not so much the loss of his shadow as the fact that there was already a story about a man without a shadow. Everyone back home in the cold country knew that story. If he returned home and told them his own story, they would just say that he was copying the other one and shouldn't bother going on. So he decided to say nothing at all about it, and that was certainly the sensible thing to do. That evening, he went back out onto the balcony. He put a candle directly behind him because he knew that shadows always like to use their masters as a screen, but he could not entice it to come back. He made himself short and he made himself tall, but there was just no shadow. It refused to show up. Ahem, ahem, he repeated, but it was no use. This was all very annoying, but in the hot countries everything grows quite rapidly, and in a week or so he noticed to his great satisfaction that a new shadow had started growing at his feet whenever he went out into the sunlight. The root must have been left behind. Within three weeks he had a decent enough shadow, which, when he set out to go back north, grew longer and longer until it became so long and broad that half of it would have been quite enough. The learned man returned home. He wrote books about what was true in the world and what was good and what was beautiful. Days turned into years, and many years went by. Then one evening he was sitting in his parlor and heard a faint knock at the door. Come in, he said but no one did. He opened the door, and there before him stood a man so extraordinarily thin that it gave him an eerie sensation. The collar was, by the way, dressed faultlessly, and was no doubt a distinguished fellow. "'With whom do I have the honor of speaking?' the learned man asked. "'Oh,' the distinguished visitor said, I had a feeling you wouldn't recognize me now that I've put some flesh on my body and have some clothes on. You probably never expected to see me in such fine shape. Can't you tell that I'm your former shadow? 
you probably didn't think I would ever show up again. Everything has gone exceptionally well for me since I last saw you. I've become a wealthy man in every way, and if I have to buy my freedom, I can. With that, he rattled a bunch of valuable seals hanging from his watch and began to stroke a massive gold chain around his neck. His fingers seemed to glitter from all the diamond rings on them, and the jewelry was all real. Why, I can't get over it, the learned man said. What can this all mean? It's definitely not something you see every day, the shadow said. But then, you're also no ordinary man. And as you know, I have been following in your footsteps since childhood. As soon as you thought I was mature enough to go out into the world on my own, I went my way. And now I find myself in splendid circumstances. But a strange longing to see you one last time before you die overcame me. You are going to die, you know. I always wanted to return to this region because we all love our homeland. I know that you have a new shadow. Do I owe you or it anything? Please let me know if I do. Is it really you? asked the learned man. This is highly unusual. I would never have imagined a shadow could return as a human being. Just let me know what I owe, the shadow said, because I don't want to be in anyone's debt. How can you talk like that, the learned man said. What kind of debt are we talking about? You're as free as anyone else. I'm just delighted to learn of your good fortune. Sit down, old friend, and tell me how all this came about and what you saw in the house across the street in that hot country. I'll tell you all about it, the shadow said, sitting down. But you must promise me that if we run into each other in town, you won't tell a soul that I was once your shadow. I'm considering getting engaged, you know, and I'm wealthy enough to support more than one family. Don't worry, the learned man said. I won't tell anyone who you really are. Let's shake on it. I promise, and a man is as good as his word. And a word is as good as its shadow, the shadow replied, for that was the only thing it could say. It was really quite remarkable how human the shadow had become. It was dressed in black, with clothes made from the finest cloth, and it was wearing patent leather shoes, along with a top hat that could be pressed perfectly flat until only brim and top remained, not to mention what we have already seen, those seals, the gold chain, and the diamond rings. Yes, indeed, the shadow was exceptionally well-dressed, and that's just why it appeared to be so human. Well, let me tell you, the shadow said, stepping down as hard as it could with those new patent leather shoes on the sleeve of the learned man's new shadow, which lay like a poodle at his feet. Maybe this was arrogance, but maybe it was just trying to make the new shadow stick to his own feet. The shadow on the floor didn't move or make a sound. It was no doubt listening carefully, so it could learn how to win its freedom and someday become its own master. "'Do you know who was living in the house across the street?' the shadow said. 
She was the most beautiful of all creatures, poetry herself. I was there for three weeks, and I might as well have been there for over three thousand years, reading everything that has ever been written. That's what I'm telling you, and it's the truth. I've seen everything, and I know everything. Poetry, the learned man cried. Oh yes, yes. She often keeps to herself in the big cities. Poetry, yes, I saw her myself for one brief moment, but my eyes were heavy with sleep. She was standing on the balcony, as radiant as the northern lights. Tell me more, tell me more. You were up on the balcony, you went through the door, and then, and then I was standing in the antechamber. The shadow said. You used to stare into that room all the time from across the street. There were no candles in there, and the room was in a kind of twilight. But one door after another stood open, in a long row of brilliantly lit halls and rooms. The blaze of lights would have killed me if I had gone all the way into the room where the maiden was. I was level-headed and took my time. That's what you have to do under these circumstances. And what did you see? The learned man asked. I saw everything, and I'll tell you all about it. But, and I'm not saying this to be arrogant, if you take into account that I'm a free man with considerable talents, not to mention my social position, and my considerable fortune, it makes sense for you to address me in a more formal manner, and I would be grateful for the courtesy. I beg your pardon, sir," the learned man said. "I'm just falling back into an old habit that is hard to change. You're perfectly right, and I'll be more careful now. But now, sir, tell me about everything that you saw. Everything," the shadow said. "You realize then that I saw everything, and that I know everything. What did it look like all the way back?" the learned man asked. Was it like a green forest? Was it like a holy temple? Was it like the starry skies when you stand high up on a mountain? Everything was there. The shadow said, "I didn't go all the way inside, as you know. I stayed in that antechamber in the twilight, but that was the perfect place to be. I saw everything, and I know everything. I have been in the antechamber of poetry's court." But what did you see? Did the ancient gods march through the halls? Were the heroes of times past fighting there? Were sweet children playing there and talking about their dreams? I'm telling you, I was there, and you have to realize that I saw everything there was to see. Had you come over there, it would not have made a man of you, but it did make a man of me. I learned to understand my innermost nature. What I was born with, and my connection with poetry. Yes, back when I was living with you, I never thought at all about such matters. But you must remember how astonishingly large I became at sunrise and sunset, and the moonlight made me almost more visible than you. I didn't understand myself at the time, but in that antechamber, I came to know my true nature. I became a man. And returned completely transformed, but you were no longer in the hot regions. Being a man, 
I was ashamed to be seen as I was. I needed boots, clothing, and all the surface polish that makes a person recognizable. I went into hiding, and I'm going to tell you this because I know you won't put it in a book, under the skirts of the woman who sells cakes. That woman had no idea how much she was concealing. I didn't venture out until evening, and then I ran through the streets in the moonlight and stretched myself tall against the walls. It really tickled my back. I ran up and down the streets, taking peeks into the highest windows, into parlors, and into garrets. I looked in where no one else could look. I saw what no one else could, or should, see. If truth be told, it's a nasty world. I wouldn't even want to be human, except that everyone seems to think that it's so grand. I saw the most unthinkable things going on between men and women, and between parents and their perfectly darling children. I saw, the shadow continued, what nobody knows but what everyone would like to know, the scandalous behavior next door. If I had written a newspaper, everyone would have been reading it. Instead, I just wrote to the people directly involved, and everywhere I went there was a huge uproar. They were terrified of me, but they also became terribly fond of me. The professors appointed me a professor, and the tailors made me new clothes. In fact, my wardrobe is almost complete. The master of the mint coined new money for me, and women told me that I was quite handsome. And so I became the man I am now. For now, I must bid you farewell. Here's my card. I live on the sunny side of the street, and I'm always at home when it rains. And off he went. That was really strange, the learned man said. Really strange, indeed. Well, that's where we're going to stop for today. Anderson has raised a very interesting question for us. How much light do we need? How much of life is lived in or through the shadow? He kind of goes back and forth in terms of where he locates life and the lifeless. There is a lot of interplay going on between the sun and the closed doors, the sort of hermetic space behind the drapes, like a lifeless kind of crypt that the man is forced into along with other people who live there during the day because the sun is just too bright. And then the lively descriptions of the street life and all of the human activity that takes place when the sun has gone down. The shadow comes back to life and stretches then, and so does the man. I love the bit at the beginning about how the man, learned man, originally thinks that he can go to the hot country and just live the way that he always has, conduct his activities as he always has under the hot, hot sun and learns otherwise. It's too much. It's, it weakens him. Something we can kind of relate to here in the desert. Also seems to be afraid of or at least noticing the potential for this very hot sun to tan the skin. He says you could be baked black by it. Lots of interesting things going on here in terms of the light and the dark. The light and the dark. How much light do we need? And then one last thing I want to note is Poetry's House. 
What is Poetry's House? Well, we don't really know for sure, but it certainly is an enticing mystery. An enticing mystery, something that tempts this learned man with his interest in truth and beauty, who is almost spying on it. And he can't figure out how to enter, but his shadow, his shadow can slip inside. And at the point that it does, the learned man refers to this shadow as a living thing. Great food for thought here. So next week, I'm going to tell the rest of this story. Right now, that's it uh, for Myth in the Mojave this week. If you have questions about today's program or mythology in general, you can find Myth in the Mojave on Facebook or feel free to email me at mythicmojo at gmail.com. Archive shows are also available now, too. So if you uh, follow the links that are posted at www.katherinesvela.com, you can find the audio of this program and also others that have run in the past months. Special thanks to Travis Rosenberg for my theme music and, of course, to you for tuning in and listening. Please join me next week for the end of Anderson's story, The Shadow. And in the meantime, happy myth-making and keep the mystery in your life alive. Mm -hmm.